You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thanks, Carmen. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Wonderful to be among you again today. I've been asked to speak on Luke chapter one. It's Mary's song. Now, this scene we went over a little bit uh, last week. The scene takes place in the hill country of Judea, 2,000 years ago. A young woman travels a very far distance, about 112 kilometers to visit her cousin. She's filled with excitement and nerves, probably practicing the conversation in her head over and over and over again about what she was going to say. She carries with her for this large journey only what she needs for her travels and her secret. Because the secret was the reason for her trip, Mary had an internal, eternal secret that she, a virgin, was pregnant with the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel, the coming savior that they had all been waiting for. Now, if you've read the story yourself, or if you were here last week, you heard that Mary didn't even have to tell her cousin Elizabeth about the secret, because as soon as Mary came just close enough to Elizabeth, Elizabeth knew. It was a revelation. She blesses Mary, she confirms all her hopes, And then Mary, as you can imagine, is absolutely overcome. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation before that you were nervous about and you were a bundle of nerves and and you feel almost sick going into it. And as soon as you say one word, the other person says, oh yeah, I knew and that's okay. That feeling of relief can sometimes come out in the form of tears. Sometimes it comes out in laughter and sometimes it comes out as it did with Mary in song. When Mary was met with this kindness, this love, this grace and acceptance, it was like water being soaked up into a desert. Salve on a wound, there was relief. She's overcome with emotion, and she sings a song that we have recorded here in the first chapter of Luke. It's known as the Magnificant. It's repeated in liturgical services all around the world all the time. It's one of the most famous prayer songs that we have Let me just read it to you today. Mary responded saying, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made his promise to our ancestors, Abraham and his children forever. The word of the Lord. Now, a teacher would now proceed to tell you about the four sections of this poem. Uh, They would instruct you uh, about the structure of the poem in the classic Jewish style with the matching parallels, mirroring synonyms leading to one thesis thought. 
A good teacher would tell you the story of how this prayer poem was accredited to Mary, but we don't actually know if she wrote it. Uh, It may have been written by someone else, but either way, it is still powerful and has become one of the most famous repeated prayers that we have. But I'm not a teacher. That is not my gifting, and I'm not a shepherd either. Actually, I'm more like the fisherman who fishes with dynamite. (laughs) My aim when I come here is always to tell you just enough to either aggravate you or inspire you to dive into the scripture afterwards yourself. My goal is that you would have the most lively and intense lunchtime conversations after I come and speak. If if you feel uncomfortable after one of my messages, thinking that I didn't resolve the thought or tie it up with a bow, you'd be right. My style is more to punch a hole through the jungle with my fists and then point in to the jungle further and say, treasure's that way, and then I take off. (laughs) So I'm not going to lay it all out. Rather than teach you, I'm not going to shepherd you and hold your hand through it. Keith can do that. He's good at that. My aim instead this morning is to facilitate your heart encountering the scripture in such a way that your heart will wake up in a new way, will become alive in a new way, and that you will be propelled forward to encounter the Spirit through prayer and through Scripture yourself. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through Mary's song together in prayer and contemplation, taking different pieces of it and holding it up, savoring it for a moment, and then putting it down. We're going to take it piece by piece, inviting the Spirit to meet us in every line. And in the same way that David's music calmed the heart of the king, in the same way that music is thread throughout the whole of scriptures, in the same way that we begin our services together here with song every week, I believe that it would be inappropriate if we went through Mary's song without invoking the power of the artists this morning. And so that's why our poor Laura has been sitting here on the stage diligently awaiting her turn because she's going to help me this morning. She's going to help us. And there's going to be some images that are going to come across the screen, and these have been picked out to be um, pieces for you to focus on, pieces that the Spirit can speak to you through if you are open to it. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to show you some striking, thought-provoking images. And Laura is going to play some music. And I'm going to give you some thoughts that I'm just going to drop on the stage and then walk away and let you think about that for a few minutes. And your job is to listen. To listen deeply. And my hope is that whether it's through the images, the words, the repetition of scripture, the music, that you would be drawn into the mystery of Christ this morning. How beautiful that we get to do this together. Let me pray. Pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened this morning, that you may know the height and depth and breadth of the love of God for you. In Jesus' name, amen. First stanza. First contemplation. We're going to begin easy. We're going to begin by easing in and looking at the first two lines of Mary's song. 
how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In the King James, it says, and Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. The message says, I'm bursting with good news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices within me. The ESV says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The Amplified says, my soul magnifies and exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You can hear through this Mary's wonder, her awe, her joy. She seems puzzled yet happy. It's like these lines that make me want to use words that you don't use usually in day-to-day conversation, but only read in books, words like wonderment. Now, all of these synonyms are just trying to describe what we've come to know as worship. Mary's heart leaps in worship. Our first image. Take a moment. Have you ever been somewhere you're so overcome with wonder and joy that you can't help but worship. It's like your spirit sparks against something of the spirit of God and it just bubbles up out of you in an unheard language that only your heart and spirit speak and only the creator can hear. I remember one moment like this. I was speaking at a kid's summer camp on Keats Island. It was a really, really tough week, and we were dealing with some really, really tough stuff. I was exhausted. I would say it was spiritually dark. We had this one session, and it was like we had broken through, but it took everything out of me. And after the session, and everything was done, and it was so emotionally and spiritually intense, after I just had this urge to just get away from all the chaos, and and, and the kids, and the noise, and the everything, and... And so I went for a walk, and I walked down to the ocean, and it was, it was probably one o'clock in the morning. And so it was pitch, pitch black, except you could, you could see enough because the stars and the moon were out. It was a clear night. I remember being there and just crying out to God, going like, I'm so tired, and how many days are left in this camp? And, and I go, and I take a rock, and I just huck it into the ocean, and punk. And as the rock sinks down, I can see it. And I can see it sink through the black water because a trail of blue and gold phosphorescence followed it down. Now, if you've never seen phosphorescence before, this is this this is the kind of thing that makes you believe in fairies, right? This is the kind of thing that that shouldn't be real but is. There's something about phosphorescence, these little microorganisms in the water that when you disturb them, they glow and they spark, and it's like sparklers in the water. They can be red, gold, blue. I think God created them just because he could. There's something about phosphorescence that speaks to the silly nature of God. Something in God's personality that likes things just because they sparkle. Same reason why light reflects off the water. Just because it could. 
I laid there. I remember that. I remember laying there. I went down to the dock and I laid on my stomach and I stuck my hands in the ocean and I just swirled them around, playing with this magical substance in the water. I was there for a very long time. And in that moment, my spirit encountered something about the Spirit of God that sparked joy in me. And I remember in my heart worshiping the Creator God, appreciating who He is in a deep way. So for our very first contemplation, I urge you to think about, when you reflect back, when was the last time that you felt that spark? Where your spirit encountered something? Was it in somebody else's eyes? Was it at the birth of a child? Was it at a deathbed? When was that last time you felt that worship just bubble out of you? And once you have that memory in your mind, what was it? What was it about the nature of God that was revealed to you in that moment? For our next stanza, we're going to take a look at the next two lines in Mary's song. See, it all began with a visit from an angel. A virgin who believed in the goodness of God, consent was given and a miracle began. A baby began to be formed in the womb of a young virgin girl. 
Or as I read this week, as I was studying for this message, it beautifully said, the sun descends into the depths of our humanity, building his abode with timbers of poverty and meekness. I'm going to read that again because it's so good. The sun descends into the depths of our humanity, building his abode with timbers of poverty and meekness. A poor, meek girl who sang, overcome with joy at the miracle growing inside of her and began blissfully ignorant, perhaps, of what it would cost her to love that child. And so Mary sang a song. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. Amplified says, for he has looked with loving care on the humble state of his maidservant. ESV says he has looked on the humble state of his servant, for he took notice of a lowly servant girl. Now Mary isn't being self-deprecating here. She's being honest. Mary was a young girl with no great lineage title. We know nothing of her family. We just know where she was from. She's from nowhere. Little place of nobodies. Commoners, peasants. Mary was one small woman in a people who were oppressed. There's nothing remarkable about her in that time. Upon our reflection now, there could be a whole sermon written about actually the genealogy of Christ. And actually, we were doing that this time last year. And there's beauty and there's significance in that. But for the common person who was there, for Mary just living her life, there was nothing significant about her. What an odd choice for God. To save the world through becoming fragile. What God would choose to come this way. You would think that a God who is all-powerful would choose to come on horseback, riding the clouds, or come blasting out of a volcano. What God would choose to be born to a poor virgin of low tribe in a time without indoor plumbing. Seriously. He could have come whenever in all of history. He chose a time without indoor plumbing, heat, <clears throat> air conditioning, and during a time to a people who were oppressed. And he was born as a weak baby human, a dependent. What God becomes dependent? What does it say about the nature of God that he would choose her then and there? In the first two years of his life, the king of all creation was a refugee, fleeing to Egypt to avoid the wrath of a spiteful dictator. Let's look at our next image. So many people didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize the second coming. They didn't understand. They didn't recognize the coming of Christ because of where he was born and who he was born to. John told them. I mean, John, in his gospel, describes it in his very first chapter, one of my very favorite portions of scripture in the whole Bible, he says, uh, he was in the world, and the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his people, but they didn't want him. 
Later, when Jesus was near the end of his time here on earth and he was making his last trip to Jerusalem, the big triumphal entry, we see him riding a donkey and crying. He does. Luke 19, verse 41, it says, when the city came into view, he wept over it. And so why? Why is the coming Messiah weeping over Jerusalem? He says, he says, as he weeps, he says, if only you'd recognized this day and everything that was good for you, if only you'd recognized. But it's too late. In the days ahead, your enemies are gonna bring up the heavy artillery and surround you, pressing in from every side. They'll be smashed, you and your babies on the pavement. No one stone will be left intact. All of this because you didn't recognize and welcome God when he came. Now, they didn't recognize God because rather than come as a warmongering king, he came born to a poor young girl. Well, surely the God of the universe wouldn't be born in a barn. Surely the creator who made all things wouldn't be from Nazareth. Could anything good come from Nazareth? Surely he'd have a home. Surely he wouldn't be standing in refugee lineups. Surely he'd be on a horse, not a donkey. Surely he'd dine with kings not prostitutes. Surely he'd come with a sword, not preaching of peace. Surely he'd come to win, not just come to be beaten and die. For our next contemplation, I ask you to reflect on this. Where is God asking to be recognized? where you might be missing him.
This image was created in 2020, back when um, children were being separated from their parents at the U.S.-Mexican border. Side note, if you think that the gospel is not political, I would challenge you on that every day. Third stanza. Says, I'm bursting with good news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate of women on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. A God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others. The SV says it this way, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is the line I want us to concentrate on for this next bit. For now, all generations will call me blessed. Out of all the lines in Mary's song, this one captures my heart the most. All generations have and will call Mary blessed for being the mother of our Lord and blessed she was. Her position in history is totally unique, but I wonder if she always felt blessed. God seems to have a very strange idea of blessing and always has. Actually, as I see it, God seems to repeatedly mix up blessing with suffering. Some sort of holy dyslexia. When she gave birth in a dirty stable. Remember, it was common for women to die in child labor. Was she afraid? Did she feel blessed then? Did she feel blessed when she had to put the Son of God in a manger? Did Mary feel blessed when they had to run away? from an evil dictator who massacred children? Did she feel blessed as a refugee, fleeing to Egypt in a foreign land? Did Mary feel blessed when she realized that Jesus had pulled a home alone and had taken off and wasn't with their company? Did she feel blessed all those days traveling back and searching for him after she lost him? Did she feel blessed when she realized she lost the Son of God? Did Mary feel blessed when her son was arrested and taken away? Did Mary feel blessed when her son was beaten to within an inch of his life? Did Mary feel blessed when she watched her son die? Let's take a look at our next image. <clears throat> a sculpture resides in the Vatican. And it shows Mary holding her son, who is dead. I have had the morbid privilege of being with three mothers right after they've lost their sons. And I'll tell you, the sound that that sculpture should be making is horrendous. It's guttural, violent, vomit-inducing nightmare of heartbreak when a mother loses a son. 
It's the most unnatural of things for a parent to bury their child. So did our little, humble Mary feel blessed then? And yet blessed she was. Jesus seemed to inherit his father's dyslexia when it came to blessing and suffering. One of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus says this, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel what you've lost most dear to you. Only then can you embrace the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God, for he is food and drink and the best meal you've ever had. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right, then you can see God on the outside world. You're blessed when we can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. And persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you or discredit you. To discredit me, what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when this happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So yes, Mary. From now on, all generations will call you blessed. The next contemplation for us to sit with for a moment as we look at this poignant image. What can we learn about the nature of God from Mary, who lived a life of trial and sorrow, and yet is called blessed?
you know the lyrics to the song that's uh, being played. It's Mary, Did You Know? Did you know? Let's finish Mary's song. Why don't you put up the next image? That one's actually quite hard to look at. Let's read Mary's song together in its entirety. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's been brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Now, every child is a miracle. We know the millions of micro-reactions that have to happen precisely and perfectly in order for a healthy baby to grow, but this child is even more of a miracle and a mystery because he was a prophecy fulfilled, a promise of God. Now, they all knew the promise. Everybody knew it. Off by heart, every descendant of Abraham across all 12 tribes of Israel and beyond, every child in her town would have known about the time that the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and the land, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all families on earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise that Mary sang of, the hope for her oppressed people was the promise God made to Abraham all those generations ago. The prophets embellished on that promise, saying how great, in fact, it would be. The book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies, whispers of the one who is going to come to fulfill this generational promise to the descendants of Abraham, that the world would be blessed through him. Isaiah 11 is my favorite part. It says this, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on heresy, hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like a garment. And in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze with the bear, the cub and the calf will lie down together, the lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yes, a little child would put its hand in the nest of a deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to the whole world. What a prophecy. 
The prophets whispered about a coming savior, the promised one of Israel. Mary knew she was the one holding this promise right inside of her. No wonder she burst out into song about it. Let's take a look at this picture. We see Mary and we see Eve. I'm not going to spell it all out for you. I just want you to notice the serpent wrapped around Eve's leg. Notice the fruit with the bite out of it on the ground behind her. Think about Eve's story and what she represents. About the story that began it all. And take a look at Mary. She's holding Eve's hand on her pregnant belly like she's comforting her. Like she's telling her it's going to be okay. Look at Mary's foot. Now this poignant image shows the beginning, the curse of all mankind, and the soon-to-be-birth hope of the redemption for all mankind. Two women, two mothers. I find the mercy in Mary's face for Eve particularly striking. Both of these women who would have sons, both women would have their sons murdered. Think about these two women. Like the Spirit of God has something in this image for you today. So for our last contemplation, all I want you to do is look at this image and see what strikes out, what, what stands out to you. What piece of it? And if one part of it, you know, stands out to you, just think about this one part and invite the Holy Spirit to come and just speak to you about it. What message has the Spirit of God got for you through that? Take a moment to prayerfully consider this image.
I hope that you've encountered the Spirit today and met God in scripture, music, and images. I trust that you'll take the one thing that stood out to you the most this morning and that you would write it down and tuck it in your heart and continue to mull it over over the coming days. I hope you share it with others. And to close this morning, I'm going to pray for you. But because of Mary's song, I'm not going to pray that your suffering comes to an end. If you want that, talk to a shepherd. I'm going to pray that you would discover truth and life and hope in the midst of your suffering. I pray that you would come to see your suffering as the hidden blessing of God in your life. I'm not going to pray for you that you would get the recognition that you've worked so hard for and want so badly. No, I wouldn't do that to you. Now, I pray instead that you would discover Christ in the humility of where you are. I pray that you would have the wisdom to not pursue greatness, but to recognize where greatness meets you in meekness and lowliness. To recognize it when it comes. I will not pray for you that all will go well with you, that you're going to win whatever battle you're fighting. No, I wouldn't curse you like that with a life of victory and ease. No, instead, I pray that you would recognize the fulfillment of God's promise in the middle of your losing. Amen.